LFG, I think. Larry Flint publication? Glad to make your virtual acquaintances. All the stuff I was going to do, I was going to talk about, like, uh, the guests. I figured out Alexia schooled me in Ecamm. Archer has helped me with the Ecamm. So we're going to figure out a way to do not so much a call-in show, but, like, a, a caller show. A Chautauqua coming up, uh, probably not this show and not next week. I, I will trundle eventually into MMA. What I will do with this show that uh, you can vote in the chat column. Let me know as I want. I think I may need to go a little bit over the 60 minutes. If you're okay with that, say so. I, and if I need to, I don't really care whether you're okay with it or not, but just let me know whether that's something you could stand. And anyway, you're probably not gonna even know that now. Let's get the commercials out of the way up top. Uh, the last day, uh, pledge day of May is today. Uh, and this is for uh, patreon.com slash the stomper or pinko uh, 95014 at yahoo.com 
for the uh, uh, PayPal. Uh, I also have some. Yeah, I yeah, do it. And I also was on a show, two shows this week that I'd like you to uh, uh, show some love to. In uh, this one, oh, I'm going through puberty. I'm just going to show it to you. Um, and it is called. You're going to have to find it yourself. It's right here. Can, I don't know. Can you read it or is it backwards for you? Uh, um, this is D-Rod from uh, my man, Sitting Ringside, episode 47. I'm, in a, I'm about 30 minutes in and I'm on for about an hour. And the show was an hour and 30 minutes. So I'm in for like two thirds of the show. Great show, full of MMA chatter. We talk about the fight, the fight night that they just had prior to. So we did the, if, you, if you're keeping track, we did Care Don't Care earlier on, but this was like the day before the fight. So check it out. Uh, it's on the FITE channel, uh, Sitting Ringside, episode 47. Outside of that, um, I'm figuring with uh, Google, you could figure out how to get there. Outside of that, there is uh, the Lydian, the Lydian podcast. It's Lydian Punch's podcast and uh, the Lydian Spin. Let's see. Uh, I'm going to show it to you right now. Um, well, you can go if you're on Instagram. It is, and I don't know if this is backwards to you or not. There you go. Uh, Lydia Lunch interviews me on the Lydian Spin. And it's just a different take. I mean, you guys hear me talk way too much anyway. But, you know, stuff that in the portions of my life that Lydia is privy to is, has probably nothing to do with MMA. So we talk about, uh, I don't remember what we talk about. I haven't listened to the show myself but you should check it out. The Lydian Spin. Uh, you can find it through my Instagram, Mr. Sleep Three, if we are somehow connected, or you can just go to The Lydian Spin. L Y. I, I just put it here. Jesus Christ, it's easier. Uh, I mean, you'll be able to find it anyway. Oh, oh, what's happening? Um, but uh, uh, The Lydian Spin on Instagram. You should be able to figure that out. Any, anyway, uh, so those are the commercials at the top of the hour. Uh, I think as anybody else, I need to thank uh, Huey. Huey Williams said it's okay if I use his full name. He's the guy who called bullshit on my no reality to any of this, which we got straightened out, who's working with the abused kids who are, are set upon by brigands and desperados of all types. Uh, horrible, horrible story. The guy's out there doing God's work. But let me, let, let, let's go through something. Let's go through something that's, that's most immediate. And, and I'm going to give you a little bit of benefit of, of, of perspective, right? Um, being that the, the first the first riot I remember was probably uh, I rem uh, my my stepfather my parents got divorced when I was five. My mother remarried when I was six. My stepfather was a uh, community a activist uh, who uh, ultimately became a journalist. Came from a he came from a family of journalists. His family was friends with. F. Scott Fitzgerald. So media has been in my mind from the very beginning. As soon as I could learn how to write, I started writing with an eye to being published. Wrote my first query letter to Esquire when I was probably about nine years old. And uh, so I've been watching the news, the Kennedy assassination, which was, we we're coming up on, it was in 1968, around the same time. Uh, I was too young for the JFK. I mean, I was alive, but I don't have any memory of that. But I remember the Vietnam War on TV. I remember the, the uh, uh, people sobbing over the Bobby Kennedy assassination, uh, uh, Martin Luther King. I remember the riots. I remember Kent State. 
And, and I remember the blackouts, which I've written about on Ozzy uh, pretty extensively, both the more peaceful one in the 60s, as well as the one in the 70s that was completely out of control and involved a lot of looting. So I got some perspective that you, you might be interested in and, and not and, and in a way that's not, as usual, not going to be pretty typical for what everybody else has to say. Um, first off, I want you to get out of your head. I, I want you to get out of your head. Uh, I want you to get out of your head. The Internet. OK, how the, you, you remember at some point you were walking around and you heard somebody go. The, the postmodern kind of irony of seriously, seriously. Remember the first time you heard that, or that you that the first time you used an emoji, or the first time you wrote "lol." These are, are collective word structures um, that Steve Ballinger, the guitar player for Whipping Boy, and I we used to we used to walk around on tour or just wherever we were and notice how how is it that all of a sudden. Every single idiot that you saw on the street was wearing the dealy balls. I don't know if you remember what dealy balls are, but they were essentially headbands with 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 wire springs connected to them that had eyeballs at the top or or horns or little things that would vibrate as you. And suddenly, everybody, it, it, uh, oh yeah, no, we're about to, yeah, there you go, uh, <laughs> uh, seventh grade. So in seventh grade. You were uh, in ninth, in fourth grade. I was nine, so in seventh grade, you, you must have been twelve. So if you were twelve in '63, um, you are about thirteen years older than me. So yeah, boy, hey, hey, that's a tough time. Drafted in 1971. Yeah, anyway, so. Um, so we're looking at these dealy balls and we're like, where did these come from? Where did these, all of a sudden everybody. And then I said, yeah, you know, remember all of a sudden there was like the pet rock dude and Steve was a couple of years old, older than me. He was, I know, never made it out West, but, oh, and we were like, you know, the trend broker, there's gotta be somebody sitting around some wizard of Oz like character sitting around generating trends. And, and you start, okay, well, eventually you could see it with, it was sitcoms that people were talking like the people on Friends, or they were talking like the people on, uh, uh, what is that other horrible show, Seinfeld. And, and they became verbal memes. All of a sudden, things that people were saying that, that whose secondary importance was that they bonded us together by speaking a common language. Seriously? So everybody knows intonation-wise, if you were to deal, get Arnold's character from the Terminator and go, seriously? Arnold would go as a Terminator, yes, very serious. He wouldn't get the tonality of what you were trying to do. So at the top of this hour here, I want to get rid of, I want to get rid of, um, I want to get rid of internet talk. Because with internet talk comes internet thinking. You know, so if you're sitting with your fingers poised over your keyboard, waiting to advance or counter based on what you expect, is going to be a political position that you feel familiar with based on, say, some of my tweets. Don't, because you're going to be wrong. You're going to be wrong. That world, the frequency of that world is in here. And for those of you just listening, I'm holding my hands about an inch apart. <laughs> a Eugene Robinson inch. <laughs> you know, that's here. The frequency of this show is like out here. 
And that's a Eugene Robinson eight inches. <laughs> that's the difference. So I'm going to, those are the rules of the road. Ignore them if you want. Uh, ignore them if you like, uh, but it'll help you get through the show to the end and not feel completely abused. So um, there were two ways of doing business if you came from a, a, a punk rock background, right? And uh, um, yeah. Uh huh. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, so one of the ways, if you, if you, the most chaotic collective public setting I've been in, which includes the two riots, two or three riots I've been in that I've talked about, uh, I've written about for Ozzy, and I can, I, I wish Mr. P was here. Mr. P is pretty good at pulling up the links and can get him out while I'm doing the talking. Uh, but uh, I've been in, in the midst of a couple of riots. And one of the things that I, I found pretty in instructive was there were two polar opposite ways of dealing with large collective violence on the part of the people on the stage, which has always been me. Like, I mean, I've been a guy in the band since 1980, right? So um, the adolescents had a great song called Wrecking Crew. And one of the lines was, we're not the background for your stupid fights, right? And so this kind of is what is where Minor Threat went with it and fundamentally then Fugazi and uh, who may, many of you might don't remember, Ian Mackay who ran uh, um, Discord Records. And their idea was we, we're not rock stars. The stage is not high enough that I can't see you. And I'm not a fantasyist who I'm gonna make believe I'm not seeing you. So if a fist fight breaks out in the audience while we're playing, we're not the background for your stupid fights. We, the artists, will take a stand against interpersonal violence. We will stop playing the song and we will be real people and address what's happening in the... I know, I'll eat something, that'll be good. And I will address what's happening in the audience, right? So that's a whole line of thinking, that whole adolescence. I love the adolescence and I love Ian as well. And he would just, they would stop the show and they would deal with it. And you had the black flag way. Now black flag, I've talked about working with Chuck Tukowski before. I was a big black flag fan, uh, back even pre-dating Rollins. Dez was my generation singer. I was actually there, Rollins' first show. Love the energy he brought to the stage much more than I love Dez's, but Dez's voice was like the voice. And their attitude was, we are all individual actors involved in the collective enterprise. You are standing there, I'm standing here. You have a stomach full of beer, I got a microphone. If you choose to get into a fight, maybe it has something to do with me, maybe it doesn't. So in between those two kind of vantage points, you have what fundamentally has been an oxbow approach, which is going to segue into my, my take on riots. Now, the riots I've been to, one was at an adolescent show in San Jose, which made the newspapers, and, and kids were punching cops in the face. And uh, John Messias from Circle One, I wrote about him for uh, Ozzy. He was fundamentally killed by the cops in Santa Monica. A bit through a riot with him, which involved him punching a cop in the face and then running. And this was a lot of chaos. You don't have any sense of it now when the biggest thing you get to a punk rock show is something off the Warp Tour. Yeah, that's not punk rock. Yeah. 
yeah, so the Oxbow way was, look, look, I have been paid to, to, to perform. I have been paid as a musical artist to perform musical art. Um, I, I dearly wish that you would pay attention to the musical art that we're, we're, we're playing. But if you want to be part of the show, which rules this entire collective ent enterprise, I will make you part of the show. But I will not have you, an enemy of art, subvert the art. I will not stop the show. But I will both neither be the background for your stupid violence, nor will I stop the show. So this has had me do a couple of things. On the one hand, it's like the cranky father motif, which is, you know, your kids learn to negotiate their arguments because they know if dad has to get involved, it'll be the worst thing ever. So let's just keep, let, we can solve our own problems without getting dad involved. So if I got to get down that audience to deal with a fight, everybody's getting punched. And anybody who comes to an Ox Oxbow show understands this. At a la uh, Underworld, the show in London, where the guy was tormenting the, uh, the, the, uh, the uh, it, uh, disadvantaged low-income teens who, as part of some art exchange, decided to come to the show. And I look down, and for some reason, he's fucking with them. Don't know why, but that guy had to get laid out twice. On the other hand, I've seen people go nuts in the audience, and what do I do? I throw down the mic, and I was like, come on, come on, kill each other. And people are like, Eugene, that doesn't seem very pro-social. I go, do I seem like a pro-social guy? Now, I don't like stuff that violates my sense of fair play. So when this guy, who was very much a part of the, of the usual audience, starts isolating these kids who are very much not to make them feel like they're outsiders. These Caribbean, you know, uh, what do you, they're not African-Americans if they're in Britain, these, these black Brits, I, I got to take a stand. I made them part of the show. But if I see some cats fighting in the audience, come on, let's, let's do it. Let's get our, let's get our knuckles deep and enjoy and embrace the chaos. All right. So having said that, having said, had, knowing where I stand as an artist on this, the riots, uh, was it the San Jose Civic? I think you could still look it up. It was written about in the San Jose Mercury News. The adolescents never got to play. It, it, Blast, who was playing uh, support, we were playing right before Blast, and there were two or three bands below us. They never got to play. The riots started right when the Whipping Boy show ended. And this was Whipping Boy, so that's how old it is, not Oxbow. And I remember walking through the San Jose Civic. I felt like, don't care Donna Shalala me on my own show. I felt like, like Virgil and Dante walking, harrowing hell. Because the cops were running willy-nilly, punching kids in the face. They were getting punched in the face. Kids were throwing wooden chairs at cops. Somebody lit a fire in the back. It was complete chaos, a la the Olympic Auditorium riots when Daryl Gates' cops showed up. Procedural note, I have cops in the family, just FYI. So I was walking through the crowd and the kids who had either already been there and saw me as the whipping boy guy, they were like, oh yeah, that's Eugene. They left me alone. I didn't look like a cop. And the cops who were like running after these punk rock kids looked at me and like, they didn't know that I'd just been on the stage. That black guy. And they just kept running. They had, had nothing to do with me. Nothing to do with me. 
So I I started to doubt as I walked across the hundred yards from the front of the auditorium to the uh, to to the back to get out. Just kind of walking around, no no fear. If I, we can go back to the Steve Buscella story. I was just I was not like that was had a head full of acid. I was just walking around, just there, like I told those women on the beach in San Diego, enjoying the day. Like, come on, kill each other. That's fine. I'm walking there, and nobody bothered me. So much so that by the time I got to the exit, I started to doubt the reality of my experience. Like I had to look at my hands to make sure I was really there. So my kids came by today and they said, they, social distancing, as I'm doing some, putting some for the fourth time in a row, trying to plant some bougainvillea. And they came and they said, well, after we leave here, we're going to the demonstration. I go, huh. I go, well, be careful, you know, check out exits, entrances. Don't be one of those people when the cops shoot the tear gas into the crowd, you get hit with the tear gas canister, it cracks your head, and then you got to go to the hospital, and you're never the same again. Please don't let this happen to you. I have been to one demonstration in my life, and I was tricked into doing it. A friend of mine invited me over to dinner, invited me and my girlfriend at the time over to dinner, and then he said, hey, before dinner, we want to take a walk. And I was like, well, that's non-standard, but they seem like a cool guy. I don't really know. So he we went over to this uh, 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 Latino neighborhood in San Francisco when it was was a real Latino neighborhood in the mission. And I go, where are we going, going here? And he's like, here. And he puts a candle in my hand. What the fuck is this? And he gives my girlfriend a candle. They light the candle. And next thing I know, like Charlie Chaplin in modern times, when he's following a construction truck, and a, a red flag drops off the lumber that's on the back, and he picks it up and goes, hey, 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 your flag, you drop your flag, and he starts chasing the lumber truck, and right then, a communist demonstration comes around the corner, and they see him running with the red flag, and they just start running after him. They, he's leading us. So suddenly, I'm in the middle of this demonstration. What it was for, I have no idea. But I was angry about being tricked, because I saw that there were two worlds happening here. There was the very real world of the people on the sidewalk rushing hither and yon to their daily employer, coming back from their daily employer, the residents of this neighborhood. Hardworking Latino folks were like, who are these fucking people walking around with candles? And then I think there was about like a gentrification demonstration, some kind of thing. And then I looked at the other people with candles. And these were people who probably at that time made more money than I, white folks who made way more money than I did. Walking around in a poor neighborhood with candles. I was like, you know what? You know what? I, I, I've told you before when we got into the more esoteric stuff, and I want to do a, a brief segue into that. The more esoteric stuff, when I told you I was spoken to in angelic uh, um, uh, language, and I was told that I was a watcher. It's different from being a participant. Witnessing is different from being a participant. Which somebody who gets beaten up at an Oxbow show could well participate. You could witness or you could participate. But sometimes these are very different things. And I felt tricked because I was not engaged. It was like somehow it offended me in the same way that seeing a bumper sticker that says, runners for world peace offends my sensibilities. But willingly choosing to go, 
People have been trying to get me to go to demonstrations since the 70s. A, fr a friend of mine said in the 70s, his name was Ronnie Eisenman. He was like, hey, Eugene, come on with us. I go, where are you going? I said, we're going to do an anti-nukes protest. I go, you guys, are you crazy? You're going nowhere with that. Forget it. And they're fish sticks today. I want to go eat lunch. I didn't go. This was in 1977-78. These are all hippies that were going to this anti-nuke thing. Okay? Now, keep in mind, the anti-nuke thing was kicked off by Three Mile Island. Look it up. I don't have time to talk about it now. But that's, that didn't change anybody's mind. People's minds, two things changed people's minds. The China Syndrome, a movie, I believe, with Jane Fonda. And I can't remember who the male lead was. Followed by Chernobyl. After that, I actually worked as a technical editor at the Electric Power Research Institute. And I knew something that the rest of America didn't know. I knew that nuclear power was one of the safest forms of energy. And based on those movies and those previous events, had oodles of safety connected to it. But in that monster blast of bad press, the, the troika of distress, uh, Three Mile Island, China Syndrome, and then Chernobyl, it didn't stand a chance. Was it those guys in the streets with the buttons? Nah, nah, it was mass media in Hollywood. People have been hunting whales, call me Ishmael, since Moby Dick. They didn't give a shit about the whales. Nobody gave a shit about the whales. And then what happened? They came out with this movie in the 80s called Free Willy. Michael Jackson had a song for it. Uh, Michael Douglas, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's a great, there's a great, uh, there's a great song by Root Boy Sim and the Sex in the and the Sex Change Band. It's called "Used to Be a Radical, Pissed on the Pentagon." Think I mucked it up? Didn't have no values. Didn't know what was going on. <laughs> it's a great song. I used to be a radical. Um, Free Willy, and now all of a sudden, and now with this, the black thing, whatever it is, the black water or whatever that thing is about, aquar uh, you know, water shows like SeaWorld. People get, I couldn't even take my kids about eight years ago. I couldn't, it was longer than eight years ago. It's probably now about 10 years ago, maybe about 12 years ago. I couldn't even take them to the circus. They just started crying before we got to the circus because of the people with the videos about how they're abusing the animals. I could take them to Cirque du Soleil without animals, which is perfectly fine. But animal circus couldn't do it. It was, you know, why? It was the movies. So somebody said to me, well, well, I disagree with your take here because, you know, there have been plenty of movies. There have been plenty of movies, you know, about racism. And I go, no, no, there haven't been. They go, well, yeah, yeah. They start, start naming the movies. And I'm like, look, 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 look. Nothing that any, nothing that Spike Lee directed has changed anybody's mind about race. Because people who enjoy Spike Lee movies are standing inside the fence that says Spike Lee on it, you know? I'm not a fan, but I'm not a fan of his for personal reasons, because he's been a prick to me. That's not neither here nor there. And then the other people who feel like, um, um, yeah, well, at this point now, nuclear has, has taken a turn because, because we shot it in the ass. But when was I, when was I at EPRI? I think I was at, at, at EPRI in the late 80s. It was as a result of Chernobyl and Three Mile Island and China. They had multiple layers of, of safety. And then at the point where they couldn't get funding for it, people started cutting back. Yeah, then it became a shit show. 
In fact, I, I wrote a, a, a friend of mine named Quincy Gunderson, and I'm hoping he didn't write it under a fake name. I don't believe he did. His father was a major whistleblower about some of the nuclear facilities in the, in the, uh, in the uh, Southwest. And uh, I wrote about it and, and talked to a lot of public affairs officers at some of these nuclear facilities who talked to me, um, who talked to me until they found out what I was doing, but it was too late. You know, you can't say off the record about stuff you already said. So it's a compelling piece. Again, I wish Mr. P were here, that he would put up the link to it. Uh, you gotta go to Ozzy.com. Or maybe, maybe I'll put them in the chats if I get, get my act together. So, so, you know, so, um, I don't want to get sidetracked. It was one of the comments about about the nuclear thing. So I, yeah, you know, I I am right now worried. I'm checking my my text because I want to hear from my kids if they're okay and nothing nothing bad. But I've had a congenital distaste for for uh, the noise of the crowd, if you know what I mean. Um, and, and if you follow the stories I've told, like the the triple date, the double blind, uh, the triple date, double blind date, where uh, the other two guys, it was three, three of us and three girls from Mills, and these guys had broken into a police paddy wagon and were beaten up by the cops. And I saw the cops coming, I just stopped walking. Nothing. And they said, Jake, John, I'm trying to call, slow them down. I wrote an Aussie piece about this too. And they, and they kept walking, they got taken, taken by the cops. My attitude is always, huh, 1923. Uh, or 1933, sorry, the, the Nazis, uh, you know what? I'm going to immigrate to the States. I'm not telling anybody. I'm just doing it. Bad boys move in silence and violence. I'm not sticking around. And more importantly, I'm not telling anybody. So the idea of, of I, I like the idea of people protesting and much like I'm okay with people just ripping it up in the audience as long as they don't stop my production of, of, of art. But I have no interest in engaging in collective, uh, in collective actions of, 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 of di uh, dismay and frustration. All right? Because Vietnam is a vacation destination right now. And you can get a kicky and wonderful apartment on the outskirts of Berlin for not much money. Or you don't like Berlin, why don't we go to Cambodia? It's wonderful this time of year. I don't mind being a footnote of history, but I want to be alive to read that fucking footnote. So, 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 Eugene, are you, are you saying are you are you shitting on the on on the protesters? W what I am? The survivalist, <laughs> not in Patriot safe prep for Armageddon, hiding out, eating berries in the woods. And not even in line with the victors write the history books. But I'm going macro on this. And if you go back to the original artwork for The Godfather, one of the on the Mario Puzo book, and maybe still in, in some of the videos, what do you see is 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 that is the is the, the cross 
and the strings that control the marionettes. Yes, they do. They do. People were saying uh, on Care Don't Care, I think Steph was saying this morning, you seem strangely relaxed. And I go, all of this chaos around me and the pandemic and the coronavirus, because finally the rest of the world is where I am all the time. They used to, we'd be rolling in jujitsu and some guy goes, What's, what the hell is that? What do you got on your, in your gi pants? Turns out I have my knife clipped in my gi pants. What knife? The same one I got in my underwear now. They're like, huh, you, you, you're so paranoid and crazy. Uh-huh. Yeah, sure. Sure I am. Sure I am. I'd rather have it and not need it than need it and not have it. And of course, this comes from early life trauma. If you haven't had that situation happen where you were like, God damn it, that'll never happen again, then stuff will happen to you again. But I want to be around, I want to be around to witness it. I'm the bookkeeper. I'm the librarian. I'm the, I, I am the writer of note. Can't do that if I'm face down, face, face down on, a, on the sidewalk being run over by, by a, a riot cop. Now, cop. I, I got cops in the family. But I've also been, uh, my relationship with cops is very strange because I grew up in New York in the 70s. Cops, the cops in the 70s are the ones who shot Frank Serpico in the face. See the movie with Al Pacino, if you can can find it, Serpico. He was a goody two-shoes who wouldn't take the grift and the graft. And they, if they didn't directly weren't directly involved in shooting him, they set him up and didn't provide him, uh, yeah, didn't provide him with any backup. I've seen the movie fairly like in the last five years as well. Thanks, Serpico. Ah, he became a cause of celeb, turned in a lot of people. But the cop, the, the police force that he was informing on in the seventies are the cops I grew up with. I'm jumping a turnstile, a cop sees me, goes, come on. I go, I didn't have the mind, but pay next time, all right. Nah, listen to the beginning of the show, gang. It's, it's got nothing to do with left hand. I started, I started the show specifically for you, to, specifically for you. <laughs> There's nothing to do with any of that talk about left wing, right wing, because it's everybody. You don't want to be those things dangling at the end of those strings. Do not be those things dangling at the end of those strings. Do not be the marionette. Come with me and step behind the curtain. I'm a left-wing guy, and I used to have an FFL. (laughs) You got to listen to the beginning of the show. Yeah, I'll get to Johnny Boney Joni soon. I don't want to be this thing dangling out here on the end of the string. I don't want to be the people. I, I, I don't want to not be around when people go, oh, it's so wonderful to Vietnam. You should go check it out. Say, <laughs> Blinken, 66,000 Americans went to check it out during a time that was not so cool. And they're dead. Because of Nixon. 66 Americans of all political persuasions. Don't want to be it. I want to peek behind the curtain. And this is where we get to talk about cops. 
Now, when I worked out in that mafia gym out in, you don't need to know where it is because they would be upset with that characterization, okay? But I've, I've talked about it a couple times, so you know what I'm talking about. And there was a cat there who was friendly. Hey, you, you, what do you know? What do you say, Eugene? Hey, hey, Jimmy, what's going on? And, and the guy, and the guy was a, a guard, a prison guard at Rikers Island. I don't know what happened to him at Rikers Island, but at some point, I say, "Hey, Jimmy, what's happening at the gym?" I was at the gym six days a week, just like jujitsu. I'm always there. He's like, "Hey, Eugene," and a dark cloud came over Jimmy, and clearly something was happening to him at Rikers Island that was making it impossible for us to be normal again. And about the third time, he begrudgingly grunted, hello. Hey, Jimmy, what's going on? Yeah. And he looked bad, tired. And, bad. and I figured I got to, like that Lord Dunsany story where their son starts to be a tutelage to a world-class thief. And the mother says, you know, we got to start locking the doors now, honey. Our son Tommy is a thief now. My friend Jimmy at that point, yeah, yeah. My friend Jimmy at that point had crossed the line and couldn't come back. He was a New York uh, 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 peace officer, but he had crossed that dark line. Whatever it was, whatever happened to him inside. I don't know. I had a girl who I went to college with. Clearly, in my mind, had gotten raped one summer. Came back, never said that word to me, never mentioned it to me. But I, all the signs were there. I could tell. She was a New Yorker and uh, was one of the few people who came out. She's now a film director. And I've been meaning to someday ask her about it, but we're not friends, so it's not like out of the box. I'm going to ask her, a 58-year-old woman, about what happened to her when she was 20. And through my whole life, for at least the earlier portion, women were attracted to me who were also attracted to authority figures. Like I went out with three or four girls whose fathers were cops. And so there was some element of, and then, of course, there's a period where I was working as a bouncer, so I was working. Uh, I was working. I was working. Uh, uh, I was working with cops as a bouncer. You know, they have the cops at the club, and culminating with I don't think they've run it yet at Ozzy. Uh, when I went to become a cop myself, as well as I was talking to the wife about it, uh, a couple of days, uh, maybe yesterday, two days ago, about the number yesterday about the number of punk rock guys I know who actually became cops. Screw it, I need a job. Became cops. Not any of them crossed that line to Jimmy Land. There was a guy, a friend I had who was DEA, the bodybuilder. So clearly we would have these great conversations about steroids where we could never talk about them directly because of his job and me not trusting him and he, you know, and, and me not wanting to suborn him, but we kind of talked around. So I got, I got, you know, I don't have to be, I don't have to be convinced. However, However, what people right now are, are, are calling uh, racial unrest or, or painting with the veneer of being a product of racism, yeah, whatever. I'm okay with that. But going into the show, uh, uh, the past two shows, this is class warfare. Make no mistake, this is class warfare. And these cops... And I'm not talking about the murdering cops, but these cops who are working these riot patrols, these are blue collar guys. 
You don't think they're blue collar guys? How many cops do you know? 90% of the cops I know were blue collar guys. 90%. And the 10% that weren't were guys who went to college, went to John Jay in New York, which is like the police university, and their intent was to be go from watch commander, police chief, and, so, and so they, were, they were management guys who wanted to be management, like guys who go to OCS. They didn't want to be these things dangling at the end of strings. So I interview this woman, and she is a, she is a, uh, I forget her name. She is an academic who studies police. And she says, there isn't, and they have, she goes to all their events, and she goes, there isn't a watch commander in America right now where if I gave them a pen and a piece of paper, couldn't give me the three to five names that are likeliest to cause them problems in the next six months. If they get a call at two or three in the morning and some shit has gone down, they could give me the five names that they're likeliest to get it from. People in any other job place, this is like the five electricians that would be most likely to wire your house so that you get it, burn it down. They could name the five right off the top, easily. Give them a pen and paper. The time it takes them to write the names on the paper, they could give you five. But they can't get rid of these guys. Why? Why? Because the Patrolman Benevolence Association, which is the police union, won't let you get rid of them. And there's a qualitative difference between the cops that served in the military and become cops and the cops that never served in the military. The cops that serve in the military tend to be level-headed because they're used to dealing with chaos, which is puts them in a situation where they can manage fear. I'm going to Eddie Bravo on this part, and it was one of the Gracies talking about, about management of fear. And you got this dumbass wrestling coach up in, up in either Washington or Oregon who decided he thought it funny to make a meme where somebody put a knee on the back of his neck. And he goes, still not dead yet. Hey, bro, he, got, he lost his job. But I, take the camera from the other side where you can see the three other cops sitting on this guy's body and then pull the camera back around to uh, uh, Chauvin, which I think is interesting that the guy's name is Chauvin because there was a French guy within our lifetimes named Chauvin, which is where we get the word chauvinist from. It's a French guy. <laughs> So, so I there's a single MMA guy who's gonna have four, four adult men on your on your body, and and keep in mind, if you read the fight book, fight or everything everyone knows about asking, but for asking for asking, and the chapter called "I Killed a Man," you'll know what I'm talking about, and you've heard me opine on the guy's story in that chapter where he he gets to do a street fight, puts a guy in a rear naked choke, and the guy dies. Why does that guy die? I don't know if I wrote this in the book, but I've talked about it on past shows. Because if you put a person who is not MMA conversant in a rear naked choke, they fight for their lives. And he put it on so tight, he crushed the guy's windpipe. The police finally show up. He steps off the guy's body and they're talking to him. And then finally they pull a yellow sheet over the guy. And he's like, this doesn't look good. The guy, if, it, if the windpipe hadn't been crushed, 
the guy would have eventually, your body says, you're dying, you're dying, <laughs> and you wake up. But not when you got four guys on your body. Yep. So, um, yeah, exactly. So military guys can manage, manage fear. They may suffer post the military as a result of having spent all that time managing fear. But keep in mind, most of these co cops who are, who are bad actors were not military guys. And increasingly, that's going to be the case, right? I mean, we've we've had a whole bunch of Afghanistan, Gulf War One, Gulf War Two, and the, these are slightly different engagements from Vietnam. So, I'm going to say that this is that this is class fuel. None of these cops, uh, none of these cops, woke up that day and said, "Hey, you're not lying." I feel like killing a black guy. I, I, I don't know. It's just something. I'll have some Cheerios. I'll have some coffee, get a donut, and I'll go kill a black guy. Chauvin himself, now his wife has, has dumped him. She's probably looking out for a way to get out. It's great. And he's going to get fried. I don't give a shit about this guy. But it wasn't. I. He may not have been driven by racial animus. But it's okay to, to say that he was, but it's also okay to entertain the possibility that he wasn't. But what he was driven by, what he was driven by was class animus. Well, how do you know that, Eugene? Because I, 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 I would venture a guess that he's never gangbanged anybody out of a Mercedes Benz. They've never wrestled mugged anybody out of a Mercedes Benz, black or white, or Chinese or Indian or anybody. Never. And there's that old joke. Yeah, what what do you call a black guy? What what does a cop call a black guy with, with a PhD? Nigger. That's an old Malcolm X thing, right? The cops that I, that I got along with, I remember dealing with cops at Stanford, and it was always a weird deal. And one of the cops, an older cop, and he was probably about 40, he wasn't, you know, but one of your 18, he's like an old guy. This guy loved me. One, because of my experience with New York cops, I just saw him as another dude. And two, because I spent all my time around blue collar cats. There wasn't that weird thing lurking below the surface that we talked about on two shows ago, which I'm sure he got from 90% of the Stanford kids that were there. You work for me. I pay your salary. The disgusting, dirty chafe of classism. Hey, when you grow up, when you, when you, were, when you were younger like me, did you have some idea that you wanted to do something significant with your life at some point? says the young captain of industry, the young future captain of industry to the workaday cop. So on a class scale, George Floyd meant zero to Chauvin and these other cops, zero. In fact, I don't know if you've ever been there when somebody has used a questionable 20. Have you? Because I have. You go up, they take the 20, and uh, and they look at it under the light, and they go, it's not right. What are we talking about? It's not right. They can do one or two things at that point. They can choose to not give it back to you, 
And if you're angry, you can call the cops and the cops will come up. You can adjudicate. They figure it out. Or you can say, okay, well, fuck it. I'll go to another store. You leave. There could have been a tug of war over 20. The thing is, somebody's got to get stuck holding the bag. Right? So he said, oh, he was trying to pass off a 20. I'm saying he was trying to use a 20. I had a 20 in my wallet. I got some change. This was part of my change. And now I'm buying something. Are you saying, suggesting I made this in my basement using Adobe Photoshop? Because I did not, says George Floyd. You're going to keep my 20 and I don't even get what I came in here to buy? Nah, that's kind of fucked up. Give me that 20. He snatched a 20. And then so they call and they go, hey, there's a guy trying to pass a 20 here. We don't know whether he was passing 20 or not. Unless he was a counterfeiter and he has those in his basement, somebody scammed him. So, so we're talking about who's going to get scammed. Clearly, somebody like Bill Gates, if somebody gave him a fake 20, he doesn't give a shit. If I have Bill Gates, I get a fake 20. I'm pissed off about it, but it's not going to make or break my day. But I live in a neighborhood of people who 20 bucks, that could be significant, man. You know how many oranges I had to sell to come up with $20? Give me my 20. What, I'm going to try to trick somebody else to take it because I can't get stuck holding the bag. So the guy leaves, they call the cops up. Amy Cooper-esque, you know, Karen, I want to see, you know, I want to see, uh, 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 I want to see, I want to see, I'm going to call the cops on you. You know, when I played a show in D.C. at this place called The Warehouse, and I ended up getting into a fist fight during an acoustic show, the promoter ran over and he said, I'm calling the cops. <laughs> and I said, good, you should call the cops so we can talk about the fire exits at a block. We can talk about your lack of security and whether or not your paperwork was in order to have the show in the first place. And I said it just like I said it now. You think that guy called the cops? He did not. The cops are functionaries. Their hands are like MDC, the band that is millions of dead cops. They're the army of the rich. Nobody's ever pretended they're anything else. And if you, yeah, and have, we're going to get into that insurance thing. And and if you go back to the roots of, of, of a lot of police forces, they were, a lot of the major police force institutions were struck up at the end of the Civil War, specifically to maintain order on the farm, if you know what I mean. <laughs> because like other, just like <laughs> when, you know, victory over Europe day, the war... I'm reading that book that I was talking to you about, Crime in the Family, and and yeah, I might go, have to go on a little bit longer. And the guy was saying his aunt was had been in Auschwitz and got out to work some work detail at a nearby kind of factory business, and then suddenly the guards weren't there. What the hell? She goes walking out, and the guards are there feeding people soup because they expected that the first people to get there would be Americans, and they want to, hey, we're helping out. We're not really Nazis. We're just giving people soup. It was just over like that. Civil War over. Slaves free. Beat it. We mean beat it. You got to vote for me to get back to Africa because what, what does that mean? Beat it. So, so, oh, angelic script. I talked about me being a watcher. You know all this, the magical symbols and signs. 
Seagulls, pentagrams, all this stuff. You know what I think they are? If I brought you from another planet and I put you in the front seat of a Chevy for about half an hour and then punched you out and then put you back in the spaceship to your other planet, you might describe what you what you saw in terms of signals. Yes, there was this magical symbol, symbol that looks like this. And every time it was invoked, we all went this way. And there was a magical symbol that was this. And every time it was invoked, we went this way. And there was a, a one in the center that when you placed your hands upon it, it made the noise that split the heavens. That the spaceships that the sky people used to bring us here, all of our magical symbols, with possible exception of the crucifix, all of our magical symbols were probably on, on the dashboards of these intergalactic space vehicles, but I digress. So these, these, these blue collar cops are put in an untenable situation where they're essentially class warriors. And because there's not a single poor person in America that owns any kind of news media, at the very least, the internet has made it possible, even though we discover disturbingly enough that they're throttling your feeds. They're throttling your feeds on, on Facebook. So once again, Facebook becomes news media and they're controlling. Not a single poor person owns their messaging in America. So right away, every single news they talk about race. Keep in mind, as a member of the agreed, no, 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 I'm not. I'm not going to go L. Ron Hubbard. As a member of the aggrieved party, I defend, as, as members of the aggrieved parties can complain forever. If you lost family because of 1933 to 1945 in Germany, you have a free pass to complain about this forever. At the same time, Germans in 2020, you have to understand that you cannot deny a moral imperative to a people. And at some point, they have to, having embraced the mistakes of the past, be allowed to move into the future. Similarly, I should be able to complain about the weight, though I never do, you'll notice, complain about the rages of racism. There are lots of reasons to hate me other than the fact that I'm African-American. Believe me. However, you cannot deny me the right to be able to complain about this if I so choose. I just choose not to because I know about all the other reasons there are to hate me. And many of those are class-based reasons, but artists have a, if you read uh, Fussell's book, Paul Fussell's book on class, you can see that many of these reasons are class-based, but not in a very typical understanding of class because artists, artists and intellectuals, they say, are members, are, are, are the true classless individuals. <laughs> it's just funny to put it that way. Because you, cause you can have a, a, a Rocher, uh, who's that guy, that, uh, uh, that uh, Ed, Ed, Ed Rocher, uh, who, it looks like his name is spelled R-U-S-C-H-A, -S who's fundamentally started life as a lithographer, blue-collar guy, print guy, became some hot shit artist. Sarah, uh, fundamentally, you know, these guys were like blue-collar guys, metal workers. And some of them, my God, you, you'd be a great artist. Okay. It's easier than welding a ship, and they give you cheese, and the wine is free. Perfect. So, so there's, being that there's not a rich guy in, 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 in the world who owns a, 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 
uh, a, a media machine, of course, it's very easy to make the story a story about race. And as a member of the aggrieved party, I got a right to complain. I didn't start complaining about cops until I came to California, where I've had cops stop me for having three inches of rubber hanging from uh, uh, hanging from the passenger door of my car, clearly the rubber molding, where I've had cops stop me because my muffler was too short. They said it's supposed to be past, past the, uh, the rear axle. I guarantee you, they never stopped anybody who wasn't black and Latino for that or who wasn't a poor white guy for that. I got stopped by the cops because they thought I was lost. They just wanted to be helpful. I stopped by the cops because they thought my my low beams were out. I said, no, you you ran, you drove around me really fast. You pulled right into me, right as I always turned the high beams to low beams. Looks like they work now. I told the cop who got stopped me, my license and the registration were in the trunk. He wouldn't let me out to get them, kept asking me for them. Yeah, I got to get a guy <laughs> hassling me on the, uh, I'm running, I'm, I had Popeye and I'm riding the Google bike and I'm running, I'm riding the bike with the guy goes, are you a Google employee? I go, yep. He goes, can I see your ID? I go, I'm running. He goes, what's your ID number? I go, 364R2D2. And and what? Well, you know, this is uh, private property. I go, and yet they're littered all about the street. What if I stop this bike and trip over it? Who do I sue then? Who do I call then? The thing is, my objective is always to cause them as much trouble as they cause me. And I've written a piece I've written a piece for Ozzy on, uh, on um, yep, protests in Paris start Tuesday. This has gone global. I wrote a piece for Ozzy called, I think I have the link, uh, except it's on my phone. I can't, I can't show it to you right now. It's called, uh, What to Say to Your Kids About Killer Cops. And my attitude was nothing, nothing. Because when you're afraid, you can't think straight. As far as I'm concerned, I got cops, I got electricians, sanitation workers, firemen. These are all essentially blue collar, blue collar functionaries whose jobs who have a job of, of keeping the, the trains running on time. Where they become bad actors, or where they're enabled by the class overlords to be bad actors. Should they be punished aggressively? And what do you need most in a time like this? In a time where people are like punching each other in the face, ripping up chairs, hitting the cops, running willy-nilly, setting fires. You know what they used to call George Washington? They used to call George Washington the father of our country. We've always referred to presidents in America in paternal terms with the exception of Uncle Sam, who is a paternal figure. And what you want in a father is somebody who, who, who like it's always boggled my mind since I have such a crappy relationship with my father. And it wasn't until I became a father that I understood that to be a successful father, you have to do very little. You have to just not 
fuck up. Don't beat your kids. Don't beat your wife. Don't fuck your kids. Uh, and, and don't fuck their friend. I mean, it's like pretty. It's not even not even a list of five things that you'd have to do. You know, don't scream at your kids. There's pretty a, ba- a little. You don't have to do much. You don't have to do much. They, they used to torment kids growing up. Saying, you wait till your father gets home. Oh my God, my dad's gonna get old. He's gonna go. And he has the magic calming hands. Now, if your father's magic calming hands held a belt or a broomstick or a wooden spoon, then you didn't like it so much. I have a better relationship with my father, but they didn't involve magic healing hands. My father was icy. <laughs> yeah, Woody Allen. My father was icy and like, you know, hey, uh, come here for a second, will you? Yep. Um, Mrs. Frederick came by today. Yep. She said you and Andy were throwing um, dirt bombs at her roosters. Is that true? Uh, yeah. Yep. He looked at me and he's like, don't do that again. It was devastating. 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 The disappointment and the, the, the disdain. My stepfather was a different, he would not, he was much more, I've patterned my, my parenting style. There's a lot more laissez-faire. Yeah, don't lie to him. That's another one. I And I, I was aggressive about that. And I was clever about it too because you know, there's certain things where I like the mystery of childhood. Like I like the idea of Santa Claus and the Tooth Fairy, but I didn't want to get into the habit or be known as the guy who bullshit his kids, right? I don't want to do this. I want to do it. So, so, but there's there's ways that you could do it that are pretty, pretty clever. And I, I never bullshit my kids. We get those questions. People are like, oh, the sex questions. The sex questions is not what made me uncomfortable. I talk to my kids and they're like, okay, dad, that's, that's enough. I go, oh, anyway, no, 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 dad, we got enough. Okay, all right. You asked me. The difficult thing was about the dad, you ever take drugs? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But eventually I kind of explained it, contextualize it in a way that made sense to 11 and 12 year olds, which is approximately the age you were when they asked me. And I didn't bullshit them. But you have the magic healing hand to come, and everybody should be should be should be cool. Go, come. My stepfather was more lazy affair. His attitude was like, hey, you know, yeah, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna do that. He goes, man, you know, you could do that. Now I get to college, I'm gonna join a fraternity. He goes, yeah, the fraternities, uh, fraternities I went to, guys, were all like repressed homosexuals and really militaristic and. We're like kind of the least interesting people I know, but you probably have fun there. Oh, whoa, hey, hit me with all that. John fraternity. Even though one of my, one of, one of, I didn't, I, I was a boarder in a fraternity. So one of my good friends needed a roommate in the fraternity. So they had to have a requisite number of people. So you could live in the fraternity, but if they, fraternity men wanted to come back, you had to get the hell out. But I was sanctioned by one of the members. So now they refer to, I get the newsletter and they call it, but I didn't have to do any of that rush stuff. So you guys don't want me to do that because I'll start swinging on you. 
I'm not going to carry a brick around. I'm not going to have you hit me with a paddle. I'm not doing any of that. So I was a boarder in a fraternity. So I could see it up close and personal. I didn't have to participate. Perfect. I got three bids from the, 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 the cycle fraternity. Got kicked off the campus for beating up some guys from Berkeley. I'd like to have been in that one, but they got rid of them. And then there was the one I was a boarder at, which is called Alpha Drugs, because it was Alpha Delta. Gonna get in that. I said, I'm going to beat you guys up. And there was Omega Sci-Fi over in St. Prue's. Fighter, he, that's why he always makes that sign, right? It's the Omega sign. So what we need is a father with the healing hands. And, and, and what we and fundamentally, if you follow me on Twitter, and I know you think this is going to be some bias, but I tweeted the piece out with a horrible headline about uh, Trump is the least manly president ever. And it was a horrible headline. The person really needs to read the piece. I know a lot of times the person who writes the headline is not the person who writes the piece. I was actually offered a, a spot in the Freemasons and scoffed at it and it hurt their feelings and they never offered again. So, um, so, uh, uh, um, ah, see, the Freemason thing, you get kind of, kind of, kind of, kind of, kind of, Oh, so this is about how Trump is like at least, and there's a terrible headline. The people who write the headlines are not always the people who write the stories, but it was fundamentally about how blue collar guys who wouldn't tolerate any of that behavior from a friend, why they tolerate it from Trump. And they say they tolerate it because they fundamentally understand Trump as they understand all celebrities, like they're glorified children. So you come home, you're the dad, you're the dad, and you come home, you go, oh, guess what? This is little Donnie came home and he called he called the teacher fat and there's a problem. You go, oh my God, that kid. Oh my God. It reminds me of me when I was 12. But that doesn't help us collectively. The magic healing hands of a father, that's not what we're getting. We're getting if there's gonna be if there's gonna be looting, there's gonna be shooting. Well, they tried that at Kent State. There was no looting at Kent State, but there was plenty of shooting. Did that work? It only works if you do it like Stalin does it or Mao did it. Unless you're willing to dig deep in terms of your, your social solutions. Uh, yeah, I haven't seen that on Trump and Epstein. I haven't seen it. I watched the first installment of the Epstein thing, and I know they're still trying to find Ghislaine Maxwell. You know, so he needs all you have to do to be a good president is come out with those magic healing hands. You know, some shit like this happens. You come out and say, We as a nation have to pull together. You have to go Fugazi, you have to go Ian Mackay on the country because you can't have people fucking murdering themselves in the streets, and you can't have your army, the armies of the rich. You can't have you can't have these blue collar guys who you shipped off to Vietnam to die and you and, and, and you and, and, you know you put them in these situations and tell them class doesn't matter especially if they're not from your class <laughs> wink 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 and if you think I'm full of shit you give me the numbers where show me how many cops have accidentally killed anybody who made more than one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year. Because they're killing, they're hurting poor white guys too. If you've seen that heartbreaking video of the, the uh, mentally uh, uh, the club owner uh, who was somehow backed at Warped Tour or Lollapalooza, 
said, this bum is in front of my club all day, and they called the cops on this guy, and they beat this guy to death in front of the club. And the guy was calling for his mother, and he died in the ambulance on the way. And it's like blue-collar white folks didn't know what to do. Usually this happens to somebody who's black. What do we do? Where's our BLM? They didn't know. They sued and they got a bunch of money. It doesn't change the fact that this poor, sad SOB should never have run afoul of the army of the rich who was called by a club owner to clean up the front of this club. Yeah, the guy was probably a nuisance. Did he deserve to be beaten with fist to death? No. As well as a guy, there's video on the internet of the guy, the white guy who lives at a hotel with his wife and his two children. And he's sitting there in the car at the residence hotel where he's living. And it's not a nice one. It's not a residence inn. He says, could you uh, step from the vehicle? And the guy says, what have I done? I'm just sitting here. And they beat this guy up. They pull his shorts down. And they tase his naked testicles. You show me anybody, white, black, show me anybody who makes more than $150,000 a year who that's happened to. At the end of the string, you got these blue-collar cops. Do you know that the guy, George Floyd, and the cop worked together at the same nightclub as bouncers? Do you think rich guys are working as bouncers? So it's real easy, since we don't have the magic healing hands of a father figure in the White House, it's real easy to go tribal on all this. But this is a class fucking war straight up. And dangling on the, str- on, on, on the end of those marionette strings, uh, um, dangling on the end of those uh, marionette strings are everybody that we're reading about right now. Because the hands that hold the marionette strings don't want us paying attention to the hands that hold the marionette strings. Yep. Yep. Divine thoughts got some. And a lot of people are saying, I want to introduce this guy. This is what's happening. What are what are the hands that are holding the strings? And that, that's got to have a name. That's got to have a name. I, the, the thing that you use, I don't know what it's called, to control the marionettes. Well, one of, one of those hands probably belongs to the media, of which I'm part. And at Ozzy, we're going to have coverage this week on the riots. So we're very much Ozzy is about zigging where people zag. We're very much trying to trying to do it, do the coverage different. That's why the show was late. I was going to do it earlier. I was in the in meetings talking about that very specifically. I did get a chance to check out Scott Sturgeon. Um, yeah, but Stizza left over grad. I think the guy, you know, yeah, he was talking about police and class warfare, but the reality of it is, you know, you're not going to advance that argument by encouraging people to kill cops. My mother was a cop, was a law enforcement officer for 10 years. I'd been very upset if you'd killed my mother. And eventually she quit. Why? She goes, because there's got to be some, some better way. She goes... You know, I've seen these people in her Mother's Day tribute, which I tweeted out. I know the mothers of these people. And I could see that these kids at some point had the same, should have had the same opportunities my son had, me, but they did not. Yep. 
So like in Billy Bathgate, when they say, you know, when they got uh, Bruce Willis in the back, when Dustin Hoffman has Bruce Willis in the back of the boat with his feet in concrete, and he said, all when all is said and done, would you rather be where you are right now or where I am? And when we consider life in America, I got to tell you, I don't want to be the guy with his feet in the buckets of concrete. And when there's a great rendering and that book of judgment is open, I want to be in a prime position to snitch. That guy right there. <laughs> That's what they used to call Satan, the accuser. I saw the whole thing. Not what was on the end of the of the puppet strings. Nah, -ha, too easy. I'll close out. I'll close out with the. I'll close out with the last last story. I'm playing, and some of you were in the chat right now. You may have been there. I played a place. Uh, what the hell was it called? Uh, Eli's, not Eli's Social Club. Uh, what did that uh, uh, get? You should know. What's that really weird club that we, Stork Club, Stork Club in Oakland. I've told the story before. And at some point, you know, I'm singing and I turn around. No, I'm not the mile home. That's a nice place. It was a Stork Club, which is very bizarre Twin Peaks type stuff. And I see the entire audience, the entire audience, their eyes go like this. For those just listening, I look to the to the right. Actually, their eyes all went to the left based on my rendering on stage. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I got to tell you, from the crippled dog to the old lady, to it's a bizarre place. And I look, and there's some guy doing the wild Watusi like six inches from me off the lip of the stage. And I get close to him. I was like, ah, some, yeah, the, the weird dolls. Somebody wants to be part of the show. Now, these are the magic healing hands, right? Black Flag versus Ian Mackay. Guy wants to be part of the show. I'm going to act actively aid and abet the performance of musical art, but I'm not going to have the show stolen from me. And I start to advance on the guy, and as I get closer to him, I smell him. And then I move out of my show trance, and I see him. And I can see this guy's a homeless guy. And I know this guy didn't have the $20 to get into this club that night. Which means this guy was let in. And so I start looking and he was let in. It was a setup. And I, puppet at the end of the string, was supposed to attack this guy for the amusement of who? And the oldest son of the club owner, when I say oldest, the guy's about 26, I see him at the front door, smiling. And I'm singing. Got the microphone here. And I, 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 I see him smiling, and I focus on him. And what I tell myself in my head, because the song is the thing, is that when this song ends, I'm going to get off the stage and run to that front door and punch him into his face till he's unconscious. Because like HR from the Bad Brain said, when he's singing about poor people, his living ain't very funny. 
This guy's going to leave this club and go back to living under a garbage can. For your amusement. So I'm looking at the guy and I'm singing. I'm like, please let this song in. Let the, and the guy sees me and he sees that I see him. And he knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that now he's being looked at. And the unconscious conversation between the two of us has now passed. And I'm jumping around the stage and I turn around and I catch his back as he now hustles this guy out of the club. The song ends and I look and he's not there at the front desk. This guy's got to pay us, so I know I got to see him. The show ends. I jump off the stage. I make a beeline. Hey, where's, uh, where's, Jason? where's Jason? Where's Jason? Oh, he left an envelope for you with your receipt for the evening. He vamoosed. He vamoosed. You know what that was? That was a mini class battle right there, baby. The hand that held the marionette strings suddenly was seen for what it was. And the puppets didn't attack each other for his amusement. Yep. Yeah, you were there. So, go, you know, he's like, Eugene, isn't the violence terrible? Ah, lots of things are terrible. Go fuck shit up. Burn the whole fucking thing down. Tear it apart. I don't care. Because they're voting. But in the end, do not be that puppet on the end of the string. Because when the hand that controls the puppet string gets bored, they just drop you. They drop you. And they move on to do something else. You know, watching this, I didn't want to watch the, the, the Netflix thing on, on uh, uh, Epstein. But I'm glad I did for one very specific reason. I was looking at the women that this guy predated upon. And of course, this is 20 years later. So some of these women have sailed into middle age, um, but they also have photographs of them as young women. This was like the head of that major corporation who I told you, I'm not going to mention his name now because it's not Jermaine and I got to end the show. How he had a, a, a he had a fetish for poverty. He's in the top 10 of the most, uh, the richest men in the world, fetish for poverty. Slept with that woman who I talked about and he was like, uh, is, is your place in like a really bad, bad neighborhood? Is he really? Epstein, billionaire. Pick the most broken people he could find. Then, and certainly now, people for whom $200 was enough to let them get fucked by a stranger. Not because, well, if I fuck 10 strangers in a day, I could make $1,200, and then there's a good money I could pay my rent. Not an adult decision. 14-year-olds didn't know they could say no. These are the hands that hold the strings, the perverse hands that hold the strings. So where we're expecting a guy to come out and, and essentially put these, put the holders of the puppet strings on notice and say, look, the system is unstable. If you guys yank these cords too much, stop it. We don't have that as a president now. 
And Johnny Boney Joni in his play, people keep thinking, have you ever been in those situations where you're about to punch somebody in the face and you give them, typically with me, I'll give them three tries. Say, Look, cut it out. I'm, I'm telling you, man, you got to stop. The other ways to, and then I just, I'm going to give you one more chance. And then, then it's done. If, if you think, oh, that's your play now, Johnny Boney Journey, you're negotiating for more money, I don't feel that way. The people I've talked to who have fought in the UFC on the record and off the record have said, dealing with the Oofsie and the Baldwin one is like dealing with the worst girlfriend in the world. They'll call you at all hours of the night and day. They'll ask for, okay, well, what about tomorrow? Can you, can you sign up for next week? It, they're completely... These 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 are palsied hands at the end of these marionette strings when we come to the oopsie, and we can tell we can tell Johnny Boney Joni is not interested. Jan Blakovitz, I like the guy, but you get that there's there's no excitement, and and if the Baldwin wants to put that on Johnny Boney Joni, it's like. He, the guy in the cage, is not even excited about it. It's to give Jan a chance. Yeah, big deal. Give me a fight I could be excited about. Give me a challenge. Do like they do with the elephants in the zoo. Make me discovering the pumpkins part of an act of discovery. Just don't throw it out on the ground the same money and then lie about it, which is something that the worst girlfriend in the world does vis-a-vis the oofsie. I don't believe Johnny Boney, Johnny Boney, Johnny is, bro- is joking. And what you find is that the marionettes, at a certain point, whether or not they recognize the hands that are there, at a certain point, what they do is they go, you know what? Fuck, I don't want to play this game anymore. I'm going to burn everything down. Maybe it'll also burn the strings. Now, like the guy on the stage, I don't like things that violate the spirit of fair play. So this black cat, the griot wrote about those black cats in Brooklyn, that uh, the black guys about my age who surrounded the cop to keep the, the crowd, the mob, from beating this guy to death. That was the right thing to do. I don't like to see four guys beat one guy. I don't like to see a mob beat one guy. I also believe Francis wouldn't last two rounds. But the, but the puppets just get tired, man. They just get tired, tired of being puppets. I look at my little puppet stage, and then I see this, like that great song that Eminem talked about. Where he actually, I can't believe I'm quoting Eminem, but he's like, you know, I'm tired of living in the back of the store. I'm tired of taking my, my quill to go to sleep. I'm tired of having the same crappy, tired of having the same crappy job. I'm, I am class tired. And when the puppets get tired of being part of, at the end of the string, they do shit. Yep. They have Bastille Day. They roll. And, of course, eventually the guillotines work so much that, once again, the hands that hold the puppet string are also the hands that control the guillotine. It's it's inevitable. But I need the magic cooling hands of of a father figure to keep America from. But it's not there. Fine. Good. Tear it apart. And I'll be, I'll be standing behind the curtain. I'm hoping with the Wizards, wherever there's a, a big guy pushing around a little guy, I'll be there. 
helping him push around a little guy. But you know where I won't be? I won't be a puppet on the end of that string. And I don't encourage my kids to be the same. Protest, re register dismay. Over there, that's not cool. That shit is not cool over there. Burn it down, but don't get caught up being the puppet on the end of the string. That's it. This is round, uh, sorry, round version 116. Uh, uh, 116. Uh, let's do this cleverly. 116 of the Eugene S. Robinson show stomper. Monday afternoon, tomorrow afternoon, you get the Care Don't Care preview with Steph and John and me. Tuesday, if the shoes fit, I think it's the second edition of uh, for a dollar, you can get the Let It Roll podcast uh, take on hip hop evolution with Kid Nate, Alexi, and me. Followed by actually, we reverse it, we record it that first, and then we do if the shoes fit. But in, to get it, you have to watch if the shoes fit, and then for a dollar, you can go over to, to uh, 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 hip hop evolution and let the Let It Roll podcast. And we're just following the series, talking about it. The next one is uh, second part of gangst gangster rap. And I got a piece, unless the whole week gets subverted because of international riots about the George Floyd thing, uh, I got a piece coming on the first neo-Nazi, either Wednesday, but I'll tweet it out at Eugene S. Robinson if you follow on, on, on Twitter. Go to the Lydian podcast. <laughs> Click that you like it. If you got cool stuff, I want, I, I'm supposed to come up with, uh, well, cool. if you are anywhere where you see people fucking shit up, let me know. I'm going to do a collection of on-site on eyewitness reports for Ozzy. So if you've got something like that, DM me. Um, I'm hoping my kids will see something well out of harm's way. But that's the show. I went over. Sorry about that. But I can see that you all stuck with it. So that's cool. 116. I'm your host, Eugene S. Robinson. Stay alive. We'll see you next Sunday. Until then, look what you made me do! Ah! Yeah,